I can't help it. That, that intro is like way too intense for me. I really appreciate it. But I just feel like I'm like an athlete, like in the tunnel. I'm just like, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, if it's your first time here, we're not always that intense. Don't worry. But welcome if it is your first time. My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors that gets to serve and lead here. And welcome to all of you joining us. on Everybody in the house, let's give our online audience a shout. Can we give them a round of applause? They didn't make it through the snow, but you made it online. We're grateful for you. Thanks. We appreciate you. In this time of social distancing, it's so nice that we don't have to be spiritually distant. And thank you for those of you that made it. This is like the most snow I've like, ever seen in person. Um, Joel literally texted me this morning, and he was like, hey, bro, it's so like eight inches. If you can't make it, let us know. We'll come get you. Um, it was just one of those boys. I don't know how to drive in this, but hey, I made it. Like that in and of itself, like God is on the move. So um, if you didn't know already, I'm not from here. I minister in Jamaica, and suffice it to say, the weather does not look the same in Michigan and Jamaica today. Um, my, my Jamaican audience, I put on social media the Jeeps out front covered in snow, and they were like, oh, no, Brother Corey, no, 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 no. We're, so just know that you have a family down in the Caribbean praying for you right now. Um, but we're in part five of our series. This is a fun series. Have you all enjoyed this series so far, this driven series? Awesome. As, uh, it was a very polite golf clap, if you're watching on. No, it has been a fun series. Um, talking about what drives us, what motivates us. We started this year, we wanted to align ourselves with the right motivators because we admitted from the very beginning, we're all driven by something, driven by career goals and aspirations, relationship goals and aspirations. Some of us are driven by negative things. But if we want to drive into all of God's blessings and promises that he has for us, we need to be motivated. We need to be driven by the right things. So week one, we talked about what it looked like to shift through the gears of our faith. Week two, we talked about running on empty. If you've ever felt like life was running on fumes, how to get filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the right, right things. Week three, we talked about James chapter five and that ever so sinking question we all have. Are we there yet? What do we do on the journey when we're not quite where we want to be yet? In other words, how do we pursue the path of patience along this journey? It's been a fun series. And today, the title of my message is off-road faith. And don't worry, I didn't forget. Last week we talked about look under the hood. Y'all remember that? That was kind of fun, right? Crazy pastor brought a car into the sanctuary. If you were watching online, yes, we drove a car into the church. It's funny when people say that. Like, they brought a car into the church? Technically, no, because a church isn't a building. This is just a tool. The church is the movement of God's people. Um, do y'all catch what I'm saying there? So you can't actually drive a car into the church. That would be like driving a car into a group of people, and I don't recommend that. But we did bring a, ch a car into our facility at the church. By the way, this is just a quick sermon before the sermon. Um, did you know, like, you are not the church, and I am not the church? Us is the church. We are the church. The church is God's people. It's plural. So when people are like, you're the church, no, you're not. I'm not the church. One person can't be the church. The church is a movement of God's people. So when we get together as God's people, that's why the Bible says in the book of Acts, do not neglect the coming together of God's people because it's not until we're together, it's not until we are a we or an us that we're actually the church. That's just a sermon before the sermon. That one's free. Cool, no charge. All right, so if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter what? Good job, good job. I don't know why I'm yelling. I'm just like really excited um, to be here today because we had an awesome event last night at Overflow Church. How many of you were at our drive-in movie last night? Anybody? Yeah, ooh, good turnout. That was fun. Again, four of you were like, yay. The rest of you were raising your hands. I appreciate it. 
Um, but that was fun. That was just a good time. Um, and we watched that movie called Soul. And I'll just throw the disclaimer out there again, in case you're wondering. We don't necessarily theologically align with every nuance of that film, but it raised a great question. How's your soul? Have you ever thought about that? Like, do we ever give much mind to our soul? Do much soul care? And if we're honest, this whole series has really been about the soul. What drives us? What's our ultimate motivator? And here's the deal. If something actually happens to you before this life and after this life, it behooves us to find out what that is. It behooves us to go, oh, if I have a soul, where's it going to be after this life? So I love the question the movie raised, and it kind of raises the question that we're talking about today, this idea of off-road faith. If you came to church today in person, parked right out front, we have two Jeep Wranglers, like all like Pivot it up if you didn't come on, if you're online, you missed that. But there's two Jeep Wranglers like right at the front. And it really just from the moment of walking in today, by the way, side note, shout out to like our amazing church members that have Jeeps and parked them there. But I really wanted that visual of like sometimes life doesn't feel level. Sometimes the road of life gets a little rocky, right? And just right off the bat to premise my talk, like there's this common belief in Christianity around the world and it's kind of this idea, say yes, get blessed. Say yes to Jesus, and I'll have all my dreams come true. Give to the church and give to God, and he'll give back to you tenfold. This idea, it's, this, it's something called a prosperity gospel. If I say yes to Jesus, if I follow God, then everything will work out, and everything will feel okay, and everything will be okay in my life. But how many of us know if you've said yes to Jesus for five minutes, five days, five years, or 50 years, it's not long before you realize the road of faith can get very rocky, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I've said, I said yes to Jesus early in life, and I'm like, yeah, like I'm following the creator, God, king, here we go. And it kind of feels like we say yes to Jesus and we should get this faith Ferrari, right? And it's like, all right, I'm in the faith Ferrari. Now it comes those smooth highways of following Jesus. Right? And don't get me wrong, sometimes God does allow us to pick up speed in life, to gain some mighty momentum in life, and really we can shift through those gears. And it's pretty awesome when God's promises are coming to fruition. But how many of us know, like, often life has some pretty serious detours, Often it feels like it's not a smooth highway of faith. Sometimes I've been in areas of my life where I pulled up and I was like, where's the road, God? I see no smooth, where are you called? It's like when God called Abraham, if you read Genesis, this is my favorite thing. We're like, Father Abraham, he's a hero. God literally said, Abraham, go. And Abraham was like, where? And God was like, go. And Abraham was like, where? And God was just like, that way. And he was like, how long? God didn't say. When should I stop? God didn't say. <laughs> Where's the road? There isn't one. Often in life, to be a hero of the faith, God will tell you to go in a direction, and you just got to start moving. But to do that, I think we need off-road faith. So I think the vehicle of our faith looks a little less like a Ferrari and maybe more like a Jeep Wrangler. And since we couldn't fit those in, our amazing creative team got us an ATV here. An ATV, right? I just want you guys to remember, again, the first attribute we learn about God in the Bible. The, if you've read the Bible and you've made the mistake of starting at the beginning, I always tell people that have never read the Bible, start in the book of John, start in Matthew, start in Luke. But a lot of people start in Genesis, which is a great way, place to start, but then they get to Leviticus, 
and they're just, they quit. They quit so fast. Like if you've ever read Leviticus, it's not an easy book to get through. Start in the New Testament. But if you read Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God, yeah, not trick question. Thank you. In the beginning, God, no, that was perfect. In the beginning, God created. So the very first thing we learn about our God is that he is a creative. And if we're made in the image of God, what does that mean we should be? creative. And if we look at God's example all through the Old Testament and Jesus' example all through the New Testament, how did God get his message across to his people? How did God tell the greatest story ever told? He told it creatively. He worked creative miracles, a stick into a snake, using a stick to part the Red Sea, using a stick hitting a rock to create water. And that's just one prophet in Moses. You look at Ezekiel, you look at Hosea, all throughout the Old Testament, God was using creative ways to get his most powerful message across to his people. And then Jesus, in instead of just reading from the Torah, would constantly walk around in an agrarian society, in a farming society, and use farming examples to get across kingdom principles. In other words, if Jesus was around today, he would be like, you know what the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like the stock market. You know what the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God is like Silicon Valley. You know what the kingdom of God is like? Kingdom of God is like in Fortnite when you go, like he would use normal, that's not an official endorsement of any of those things in case any parents were looking at their kids like the preacher said Fortnite, don't worry. My point is, Jesus spoke the common vernacular of the people to creatively get the message of God across. So here at Overflow, we embrace creativity because our God is a creator. Can I get an amen? That was a lot. I was like, right? But just some value principles. So I thought, what, did our, what should our faith look like? I think we need four-wheeler faith. I think we need ATV faith. ATV stands for all-terrain vehicle. I think we need ATF. I think we need all-terrain faith. We need a faith that when the road's not smooth, overflow people can still make it through. But what does it look like to have ATV faith? What does it look like to have all-terrain faith? Because the Bible speaks to it. It says if you don't finish the race, there's not a crown. And to finish the race means whenever the road of life gets tough, we've got to have a faith vehicle that makes it through. And some of us are amening because we've been through some stuff. We've got the diagnosis. We've been through the relationship issues. And we know what it's like to put on those all-terrain tires of faith and watch God pull you through. In Acts chapter 16, it's one of these exact moments. There's these two guys named Paul and Silas. And they're going down the road of life, following Jesus, doing the right thing. And the Cliff Notes version of it, long story short, they're walking through the city and there's a demon-possessed girl, and literally it says, you can check it out, this is a whole other sermon, they got so annoyed with the demon-possessed girl, they healed her. How many of you know God can work even when you're annoyed? Can I get an amen? Anybody annoys you, maybe you need to pray for their healing. So this woman was annoying Paul so much that he prayed for her healing, she got healed, but because she got healed, she lost her value to her owners. Her owners got mad at Paul and Silas, literally accused them of stealing money or taking money away from their business, and it got Paul and Silas thrown in a prison. But this wasn't a prison like today's prisons. This wasn't three meals a day, you have your little bunk and the TV, you get out on the yard for an hour. This was a first century dungeon. This is a first century dungeon, and if you read the context, it says the jailer threw them in stocks and bonds. We, we call them chains today. But when you think of bonds, I was talking with Pastor Chad, and he kind of educated me on this in between services. When I think of bonds, I think of medieval bonds, where, you know, they would put them in stocks with their head and their arms through. But this isn't medieval bonds. This is Roman bonds. 
So what that was is they would tie your arms behind your back and they would wrench your legs back behind you and then they would tighten it together so that your body and muscles were contorted to where your muscles were continually spasming and you were in constant pain and agony. It was a torture method. And here it says the jailer threw them in the prison in these torture devices and it was the jailer's discretion if they just did it for a moment, but this jailer left them in these torture devices and their stocks and bonds. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 16. You talk about an off-road moment. Hey, I'm just serving Jesus. Hey, we're just healing people. Hey, we're just being generous. Prison, unexpected. And many of us can relate to that, maybe not to that extent, but when life just hits you, when it just feels like I was cruising down the highway of life and all of a sudden I'm thrown off-road, all of a sudden I find myself in a ditch or a pothole, how do we respond? How do we have all-terrain faith? Acts chapter 16, it picks up in verse 25. If you're ready, say yeah. yeah. Awesome, four of you. The rest of you, I know you meant it in your heart. Thank you. Verse 25, it reads, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Can, can we just be real? I'm sorry, I don't mean to be extra up here, but every time I read that, like, I can't, I didn't even, I want to keep reading this passage. In my notes, I wrote, don't stop here, keep reading. But every time I read that, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were, were praying and singing hymns to God. I get a flat tire in 2021. And my first response isn't, thank you, Jesus. I'm alive and I have a flat, but you're good. Like, right, like, we have little things happen to us in life and go wrong. Someone cuts us off in traffic. We get a demotion. Like we get like we have little things go wrong and our first response is usually what? Negativity and complaining. These guys were tied up in a torture device being arrested for doing the right thing and their response was praying and singing to God. How many of you know there's power in praise? There is power in praise. And we're about to see how powerful praise really is. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't do it, bro. That's not what he said. He said, don't harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your household will be saved. And they spoke with the Lord that very night, and he brought them to his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What? Y'all read the Bible sometimes and you're just like, what did I just read? Like, if you slow that down, that's an entire Marvel movie in like eight sentences. That is insane what we just read. And sometimes we read the word of God and we're like, blah, 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 blah. Paul, prison, released. Okay, God, I guess you're cool. No, like if this happened today, this would be like front page news. So I'm just gonna, today, like you, sometimes I like to teach topically like we did last week, like good decision making. 
Other times, we like to deploy a different teaching tactic called exegetical teaching. If you've been around Christianity for a while, you speak Christianese, exegesis or exegetical is just a fancy word for verse by verse or word by word. So we're just going to do a little Bible study today. You okay with that? All right. Again, seven of you, but you're with me. I appreciate it. So the first thing I wrote down here is we kind of work through this verse by verse. It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I highlighted in my notes, the other prisoners were listening. It's interesting to me that the author wrote that down, that he made note that during this midnight moment, during this moment in prison, during this off-road moment, when life was squeezing Paul and Silas, quite literally, what was coming out of them was praise and worship. And it says, and the other prisoners we're listening. How many of you know that the community of Benton Harbor, the community of St. Joe, your unsaved neighbors, your unsaved friends, your non-Christian co-workers care way more about how we respond to the tough times than they do the good times. The other prisoners were listening. In other words, your neighbors, our families and friends are watching us and particularly in those off-road moments, in the prison moments, in the pit moments, because it's in the prison, in the pit, in the ditch, in the off-road moments that when life squeezes us, that the community around us, that the prisoners around us, that our neighbors can see what's really in us. How are we responding to the prisons in our lives? Because that's when your neighbors are listening. What's their faith really made of? You wanna see what overflow is really about? Watch one of our people go through a rough time. Watch how we respond to tough times. I'll put my money on it. We may not like it, but we'll mount up on that ATF, on that all-terrain faith, and we'll make it through, leaning on one another, deploying the power of praise. Because when we pray, that's what, church, I'll just be real. That's what differentiates us from everybody else in this world. Everyone else in this world's faith is dead. Literally, we serve the only Messiah, the only person in human history that rose from the grave. Muhammad, still in the grave. Buddha, still dead. Jesus, defeated death and rose from the grave. So we can face any road, we can face any path in front of us, and because we have all-terrain faith, a faith that can even overcome the grave, we can praise him in the pain. And when we praise him in the pain, the fellow prisoners listen and take note. So it said the prisoners were listening. I just wrote that down that, oh, I wrote it this way in my notes. Are we throwing a pity party or are we praising the Prince of Peace? When we feel life squeezing us, when we feel like we're thrown off the road into the ditch, do we cry and whine or do we praise him for his peace? Again, just how do we respond to the pits in our lives? The second thing I wrote down here, and this is so good. It says they were praying and singing hymns. Now, when I say the word praise, like we were just singing that, like I choose to praise, like right, again, I'm not a singer, <laughs> duh, but like I still sing, why? Because it's not about the quality of my voice, it's about how much he's worthy of it. And so because he's worthy, it doesn't matter if I'm good at it or not, I'm gonna give it to him because he tells us, sing all you people, praise all you people. But we are all praisers and worshipers. How do I know that? Because I've been with the men that are like, I'm not, I'm not real, uh, expressive in my worship. Like I grew up in the chosen frozen in the Southern Baptist circles. 
And this is how we worship. And you always go up to those people and you're like, hey man, loosen up a little bit. It's okay. You know, if, if God literally saved you from hell, death, and the grave, maybe you could, you know, throw him a little worship frisbee. I choose to praise and glorify. You know, you, that's where you start, a little worship frisbee. And then you start praising God a little bit more and you give him the single lady. You ever see the single ladies in church? They always raise one hand. It's always that left hand. Like, I choose to praise. And then eventually you get to the full surrender. God, you're everything to me. And I always love talking to the men and women. They're like, man, that's not how I worship. That's not how I praise. Then you go to a football game with them or basketball game with them or you go to a concert with them and that favorite song comes on or they score that touchdown. And what do they do? Yeah! Woo! And you're like, oh, I thought you were reserved and not a really worshipful, crazy person, right? We are all praise and worshipers. The question is, what are we praising and worshiping? It doesn't mean you can't get into a football game or a concert. Have a great time. But when it comes to the God and Father who saved you from hell, death, and the grave, doesn't he deserve more of our praise and worship? Praise is powerful. And, and I wrote this down here, and this is one of those impromptu things, guys. So if it doesn't come out right, give me grace. But on the way to church today, again, Joel, our, our, our worship leader, called me, and he was like, or he texted me, and he was like, hey, do you need help getting here? Because I would never driven in this much snow. And I'm making it, got a little Nissan Altima, kind of like, you know, just taking it real slow. And I saw something I don't get to see very much. I've seen it in Jamaica a couple times, but um, I saw a Jeep, much like the ones parked out front, and it was helping someone that was stuck. And the person that was stuck, they had kind of slid off to the side of the road, and the Jeep was using what's called a winch. Y'all know what a winch is? It's like that wire on the front of a Jeep. I got a picture of it up here. And, and that winch had connected to the car that was stuck, and it was pulling it out. Now, 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 y'all roll with me for a second, but as I was driving to church today, I felt like God gave me a word. And he said, worship is a winch. Praise is a pulley that pulls you out of the pit because here's what happened. Paul and Silas were in the prison. They were in the pit. And what a winch does is a winch says, when I'm stuck, when I'm in a ditch, I can take this and lasso. I can take this and attach to something firm, attach to something rooted, attach to something with a foundation that does not move. And because that will not move, I can pull myself out with the winch. Worship is a winch because God's truth in worship does not move. God's truth in worship is a strong solid foundation God's truth in worship has roots and when we lasso onto his truth no matter the prison we find ourselves in we can pull ourselves out I know it ain't really sexy but worship is a winch worship is a winch and some of us today find ourselves in a pit prison or pit or ditch in some way shape or form and today God has given us a way to pull ourselves out of it by locking onto his truth and pulling up now, I, I, I learned a lot about worship in college. I used to play drums in different worship bands. And I remember I walked into my church in college one day, and I was just kind of hands in my pockets during worship. Just first service, I was just kind of, I don't want to be here, right? It's just a bad day. And my buddy George, who was the worship pastor, George Dumain, he, he's this Haitian, amazing guy. He ran up to me because he, he's used to my energy. I'm usually like, let's go. And I was just down. And he said, bro, what's up? I saw, I saw you weren't singing. And I said, honestly, I just feel like I'd be singing a lie. I don't feel like I'm living that right now. Like, y'all remember there used to be that old Christian song, and it ended, in all I do, I honor you. Y'all remember that line? And I always used to feel like I should sing, in some of what I do, I sometimes honor you. Like, I felt like that would be more accurate. 
And I felt like when I would sing, I'd be lying to God. And it always convicted me. Even today, we said, like, I will always worship you. How many of us know, like, even this morning, there were moments we got caught up in our flesh and in our mind and in our anger, and we weren't worshiping God. And so I used to even struggle with that. Like, man, I don't want to be a liar in worship. And my buddy George came up to me, and he said, Corey, you don't sing these lyrics because they're true for you. You sing these lyrics because they're true about God. And because they're true about God, we sing them because out of the mouth overflows the heart. So if we want our heart to have the right things, we tell our mouth to say them. In other words, we don't sing them because they're true. We sing them to align with the truth. We praise God not because we feel like it. We praise God because he's worthy. Praise is powerful. Praise is that pulley that can pull you out of the pit. And it just keeps getting better. This passage is amazing. I wish I had time to really dig into every nuance and facet of it. But the next thing I wrote down, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now, we read this passage like a Tarantino movie. We know the ending. We know they get out, right? Spoiler alert, they lived. I'm gonna break it to you. They didn't know that. Paul and Silas were being tortured and they chose to respond to the torture with an all-terrain faith and saying, even in the tough times, I'm going to praise you, God. And then a natural disaster occurred. If you're Paul and Silas, things just went from really bad to a lot worse. They didn't know the earthquake was God-ordained. Think about that. You ever been in a bad situation in life and it feels like things went from bad to worse? And you're just like, really, God? (laughs) Like, they left me and I got a demotion at work? Like, I lost my job and I need an oil change? The engine's, the transmission's going out? Like, it's always those little things, too. You know what I mean? It's like the the sudden bill or the little thing. Like, when things just get from bad to worse. And for Paul and Silas here... They choose to praise God, even in the pain, even in the prison, even in the pit. And then it goes from bad to a lot worse. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like, if I'm going, if I'm in a prison and I'm like, Jesus, praise you. Oh, this is hard. Pray. And then all of a sudden I'm like, ah, earthquake. Like, like, I'm not God. You're so good. I'm like, I'm just going, why? Right. But then what happens? Sorry, sometimes you just got to visualize it. Like that's, they were literally like, yeah. And the very thing they thought that was going to kill them is what God used to set them free. Hey, I'm going to repeat that for somebody because it didn't hit. You may be in a prison or a pit right now. You may be in an off-road season. And there may be something you're facing right now that it seems like it's the last straw, the final blow, the earthquake that is literally shaking everything up in your life. But often the very thing we think is gonna kill us is exactly what God uses to set you free. If you're getting shook up right now, I would just ask you, maybe ask God, hey God, if I approach this and you with the right attitude, if I choose to praise you anyway, could you even use the earthquake? But guys, this is where it gets so good. This is where we just gloss over it. Because it said, and suddenly a great earthquake came. It went from bad to worse. And then it says, and everyone's doors, prison doors were open. And all the bonds were unfastened. But this is, oh my gosh, guys, I wish we could see this. 
It said everyone's bonds were dropped and everyone's doors were open. But who was praising and worshiping? Paul and Silas. So first off, I want you to see this. Our praise and our worship can literally be so powerful, it can set us free. Literally, our praise and worship, God can use it metaphorically, spiritually, and actually in the physical realm. He can even use it to set us free. But did you catch that? It didn't say, and Paul and Silas's stocks were dropped and doors were open. It said everyone's stocks were dropped. And every, in other words, your praise is so powerful, it can set the people around you free, even if they're not praising. Did you catch that? Those other prisoners weren't praising God, and they got set free too. Maybe your praise today isn't about you. Maybe you were called to praise God today, even in your pit, even in the off-road season, because it wasn't about you. It was about the person next to you. Maybe that comment you put in the chat room wasn't for you. Maybe it was for that person that's never commented. They're watching for the first or 50th time, and they needed that word. Why do we praise God? Because he's worthy and because he uses our praise. Our praise is powerful, not just to set us free, but to set the people around us free. But then did you catch the other nuance? It said the jailer ran in and he was about to kill himself. Why? Because all the prison doors were open and all the chains had fell off, a.k.a. all those prisoners he had just been torturing were either A, going to kill him out of vengeance, or B, they all ran off, and by Roman law, he was now due the penalty they had. So he thought, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands, take myself out on my own terms. But what happened? He ran in, he was about to kill himself, and Paul said, hey, we didn't leave. We're all still here. Just because God opens a door doesn't mean it's time to walk through it. Just because God sets you free from a tough situation doesn't mean it's time to go. I don't know if y'all are catching what I'm saying there. You may be in a marriage right now and have every grounds to leave that marriage. But maybe God isn't telling you to go yet. You may be in a job that you hate, but maybe God has you at a job you hate because he has you next to someone he loves there. Just because the door is open doesn't always mean it's time to go. And what I love about Paul and Silas here, the doors open, the stocks dropped, and they stayed in the prison. And then the jailer ran in. It was about to kill himself. And instead of letting the man that just inflicted the wounds upon them, that was just torturing them, instead of letting him die, what did they do? They literally saved his life. Praise changes our perspective. It's impossible to have enemies when we're praising God. Did you know that? If you're ever mad at somebody, just start praising God. I guarantee like. On the way home today, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Later this week, what happens? We're like, ah, you, you, blink, blink, bleepity bleep. I know we don't say any of those words in church, right? But like, you're like, ah, I'm mad. Watch this. Next time somebody angers you, even something as little as somebody cutting you off in traffic, try this. They cut you off, and instead of yelling at them and getting mad at them and becoming a prisoner to your own anger, try praising. Ah, God, oh, I wish they would have cut me off, but thank you that I have a car anyway with tires and a road. I pray for that person that they would learn to drive a little bit better. Please drive them to church. Jesus, let them get saved. Father, thank you that I'm breathing right now. Praise you for who you are. All of a sudden, they're not an enemy. They're someone you have compassion for. 
Praise can change your perspective drastically. And what I love is they chose to stay. The prison guard comes in, their enemy came in, and then they saved him from suicide. It completely shifted their perspective of this man. And then it gets even better because not only did it bring them freedom and not only did it shift their perspective, but then it says the prison guard said, what must I do to be saved? In other words, I need what you guys have. Because of your response to the prison, because of your response to an off-road season, I realize I don't have that, and I need that. And then what does it say? It says the very guy that inflicted the wounds, it says he picked up Paul and Silas, and with his authority, he took him out of the prison. They waited on the authority they were under to walk through the door. He took them out of the prison, and then the very one that inflicted the wounds became the one that washed their wounds. You understand worship is that powerful. Worship can turn your enemies into those that heal you. Praise can change all the perspective we need for those people causing the pain to actually be the people that bring the healing. So this guy heals their wounds, and then it says they go to his home, and then he starts serving them. Praise can take someone that was beating you and turn them into a servant of God. And then it says he was baptized at once. Like, that is, okay, prisoners, praise, earthquake, freedom, suicide, safety and savior and then actual eternal salvation and then real freedom out of the grave and then a meal and then baptism this is an epic night like this is insane and what i love about this prison guard is he goes i need that they say let me tell you about jesus he says i want that they say okay believe in him he goes i believe that and then what do they do let's get baptized In other words, delayed obedience is disobedience. If you've said yes to Jesus, the appropriate response is to follow him, do what he tells us to do. And the first thing is get in some water. Baptism, baptismo, to be plunged under. That's why next week we're doing baptism. If you follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, next week is your week. Don't delay the obey. There's no class you need to go through. We overcomplicate it. Literally in the Old Testament, somebody got saved. They'd be like, you said yes to Jesus. There's a ditch in some water. Let's do this. Check out the Ethiopian eunuch. He literally got baptized like in a ditch on the side of the road. You don't have to overcomplicate it. And what I love about this guy is he didn't delay the obey. He said yes. But as we wrap up, I'll bring us back to the top of the passage. Verse 25. I love how it starts. It says, in about midnight, Paul and Silas started praying and singing hymns to God. And that midnight phrase just pops out to me. Because the Bible doesn't often reference time. If you've read the Bible, if you've read scripture, it'll rarely give you a time of day that specific. But here it says, at about midnight, and there's stocks and bonds being tortured. Right at about midnight, they started praising God. And I don't know what hymn they were singing, but the other prisoners started listening. At about midnight. Well, again, we said this was a first century dungeon. In other words, there's no electricity. And if you read it, it said when the jailer came in, he brought the light. So midnight signifies first, 
that it was pitch black. It was the darkest hour. But not only was it physically dark, probably couldn't see the hand in front of their face. Midnight signifies when one day ends and the next day begins. And the next day for Paul and Silas could have meant death. They could have been put to death. So midnight didn't just signify the darkest hour physically, but it signified now is the day of their demise. And I love that the author tells us in the darkest hour, they started praying singing hymns. Now, Overflow family, I don't, like, God's doing some cool stuff around this church. Like, even just to see the parking lot full last night and people watching a movie and community happen amidst the pandemic, to see, like, more people coming and tuning into service than we have all year in the past couple weeks. Like, God's, like, up to something. It's kind of cool to feel. You can kind of feel the spiritual momentum. It's just like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Like you're driving us towards something. But what I know is usually as we start to pick up momentum as a church and momentum in our lives and momentum in our marriages, where as soon as we start driving down these roads and picking up speed is exactly when the enemy comes the hardest and some of us all of a sudden get derailed, we get thrown off road. And I, so, I know some of us right now watching online or right here in the house, you may be in a midnight moment. Maybe you're in a midnight marriage. Maybe you're in a midnight money moment. <laughs> But I know in a crowd of this size and watching online, somebody's out there just going, Corey, if I'm being honest, it's dark right now. Like, I mean, I get emotional because like, even in my life, like I have an uncle that's basically passing away right now because of cancer. I've had multiple family members die of COVID. Got stuff going on all over the globe. Can't even gather at our church in Jamaica. You know, there's just, there's big problems. There's little problems, but there's so many moments in life where it just feels dark and what I love about this passage is Paul and Silas model for us that we don't let our praise be dictated by our feelings because in the prison they were beat up broken and behind bars they were literally being tortured in a first century dungeon and where most of us would complain because we felt discomfort because we feel alone because we feel betrayed because we feel used where most of us would respond with complaining in the darkest moment in the midnight hour they responded with praise because our praise is not dictated by our feelings but rather our feelings should be dictated by our praise in other words when we're feeling like we're in a midnight moment we say God I know you're good God I know you're still on the throne God I know if I will mount up on wings like eagles it it doesn't matter what road I am facing. It doesn't matter how deep the ditch is. I will press into you and your promises and presence because you are worthy. And all of a sudden, our praise and our worship dictates our emotions. And even in a midnight moment, God can move. He can bring freedom. And so Overflow, whether you're online or here with us in the house today, our, our prayer is just that we would have some all-terrain faith today. No matter what we're facing, even if we find like feels like we're off-road a little, then maybe today you would praise God. Not because you feel like it, 
but because he's worthy. And in praising and worshiping him, let him change the barometer of your feelings. Let him change the temperature of your faith. And watch, actually, I don't know if you've ever actually been off-roading, but if you ride it right and you got the right vehicle, it can be a lot of fun. Life's the same way. Often those midnight moments are the same memories that you go back to and go, look at God. Look at how he pulled me through. Look at what he taught me. Look at how he equipped me for future terrain, man. And all of a sudden we can praise him in the prison. We can praise him in the pain. We can worship him in the moment. We can lasso onto him in his truth and watch him pull us up. So right now, church family, can we all stand to our feet and we're just gonna sing one more song together. And I would challenge you in this last moment, I don't care who's next to you. Maybe they're not comfortable with it. We need to be socially distant anyway. You can get yourself some space. But I would just encourage us today. I'm gonna pray and let's use this last moment to praise God for all that he is. And let's let him work in some midnight moments. Father, right now we pray as a church family that you would do exactly that. That if anybody is finding themselves in a dark moment right now, that through the power of your truth, God, that they would be pulled up with praise, that they would be pulled up with worship. And God, I just declare over this church, no matter what's going on, we will always be a people of worship. We will always be a people that praises you because you are worthy. In your name we pray, amen.